millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What are the constants to your process, no matter what band you're working with? What's the kind of through line with all the records that you've made for you? A good question. I don't really know. I think... um each project's pretty different um, from one to the other. I think generally it's whoever I'm working with, um, it's just about getting pretty involved and trying to figure out, you know, decipher for them what they're after and I guess kind of help them get there. Some people want more of a hands-on approach. Others, you know, want to trust that you, you'll stay out of the way. I think it's probably more just gaining the trust of whoever I'm working with and and then we sort of each sort of push each other to uh, I guess get the most out of the time we're spending in the studio when you say kind of gaining the trust of them at what point does that usually come in the process sometimes sort of sooner over a few beers and you know listening to music and then others just sort of understanding maybe you know what uh, they're after, whether it's a band or a solo artist, and knowing that you've got kind of their um, best interests first and foremost, and you know, you're not trying to make an album for yourself, you, so to speak, or I'll sort of throw ideas quite uh, heavily, but I don't really expect my ideas to be um, the most important thing. So, I think when we sort of get to that stage where if they want they want something crazy done in, in the sounds or whatever, and I'm happy to sort of back them up in that way, and then and then it just sort of becomes fun, and we um, I don't know just make a lot of noise. <laughs> it's interesting that idea you were mentioning there, where you want to assure them that you're not there to make a record for yourself when you're there to help them achieve what they want to do with it. Because I know that you used to be in bands and stuff in the past. When you moved solely to producing as your one creative outlet, did that change things at all for you? I guess, I, I don't really know. I never really thought about it. The When 
I was in a band. I used to do a lot of the uh, sort of demos and sometimes eventually that was stuff that would make the record. So I always sort of had an interest in the recording and uh, sound side of everything. And then eventually when, you know, the band was starting to peter out and we had to figure out what we were going to do next, it was a bit of a natural sort of slide, I guess, going into, I had sort of lots of friends in the music industry and, and then I had, um, you know, some, some bands and stuff that were happy to sort of give, take a shot with me in the studio and, and just sort of evolved naturally, I guess. What was the first record you did? First record I did was, I did a couple like EPs, I guess. Um, and the very first one was this band called Ghosts of Television and then their friends Warhorse. <laughs> And it was pretty fun. They're uh, young, into smoking bongs a ton. <laughs> so I think I had a, a lot of, uh, I guess, leeway. <laughs> no one was really keeping a check on me too much. So that was sort of good to sort of practice things. And then I guess the first actual album I made was um, for this band called The Mess Hall. And they were like a two-piece in, in Sydney. It was good. It was fun. And it ended up... I guess the equivalent of uh, what your Mercury Prize would be over there it's called the Amp Awards and um, it ended up winning that so it was pretty lucky and then I guess from that it sort of was a bit of a word of mouth thing and the whole time I was just I never really had any formal experience or training so I was shitting my pants in every session and just trying <laughs> to pressing buttons turning EQs <laughs> not really knowing what I was doing when you don't have that formal education, and does that almost fuel you to work harder in some ways? Does it motivate you? Yeah, I you? guess it would. Everyone's, or I don't know, I can't speak for everyone. When, at least for myself, and in, in it was, there's definitely a lot of fear. I think, you know, when you're in a band or when you're doing this, of trying to do your best and trying to do something, and hopefully that'll uh, you won't get caught out, so to speak. So, yeah, it was just tons of and tons of hours in lots of late nights when everyone would go home, just keep fiddling away and trying things and, you know, benchmarking yourself against other albums and productions that you really like and, I guess, just aiming high. That's interesting because there's often a thing I see getting, there's often a thing I see getting thrown around with kind of bands that are up and coming that they're speaking about how they feel like they shouldn't compare themselves to the artists they really admire and they should instead compare themselves to other artists around them because it's not fair to think they could achieve those heights. But were you very much from the beginning look at the records that were really important to you and trying to get to that point? Was that always in your kind of vision? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I understand sort of both sides of that. I, I, so for me, I sort of feel doing um, music um, in a, whatever facet, you know, why I got into it was because I was inspired by music and there was bands and acts and stuff that have, you know, changed my life, so to speak. And when I was making music, you know, you wanted to do that, you know. So in the production side, engineering and all that, you know, I guess it's the same same thing when you hear a drum sound that was just mind-blowing how do I do that how do I you know make that happen and you know those albums that you would listen to and wanted to sound as good as that so 
in some ways, I try to use it to sort of set like a level to aim towards, but then try and be careful about not necessarily just trying to be a cover of that or, you know, interpreting it to a default. I think it's good to have at least something in the horizon that you're moving forward towards. Yeah. And I guess as well that if you, when you're a young producer, you set something like back in those days when you're a young producer and you set something like Sonic Heath as your benchmark that you're trying to get to, even if you don't quite have the skills at that point to get to it, the very fact that you're reaching forward for it, you'll probably get further than you would had you just tried to achieve something a little bit lower down, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think, you know, also using a band like that, that was also like about vibe and, you know, I think feeling comfortable with trying different things because when when I heard a band like Sonic Youth, it was... Well, it just sounded like different music to me at the time, and I didn't quite understand it when I was hearing other things um, that were a lot more easier to comprehend. Things like that were like sort of pushed to like experiment, and you know, if a sound comes in your head, like how do you get that? And what would a band like this do? And a band like that would do it. So it gives you the courage to kind of try things. When you were trying to go for a sound or something like that. Would you read interviews with the band? Would you try and find out how they did it? Or will you just try and reach that point by experimenting? Um, yep, all of the above. I'm like, I'll definitely make no bones about it. Like, I would read and research and any bits of information I would pick up in an interview. I would totally steal. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in theft. I think by, by doing that, it would lead me to some somewhere other place um i guess in the because when i sort of started like being in the studio or a session like i was working out of studio so there was time limits for everything unless of course you know the owner went home and i had the keys <laughs> so to stay back a bit but for a lot of it was you know you'd just see that clock just suddenly minutes became seconds and you know so if you kind of had like a, you know, I would read about things and go, okay, tomorrow I'm going to try that. And then hopefully it got me kind of closer to some objective I was after. If not, it would spur something else on. But you'd, you know, if there was any shortcuts, I was taking them at the time. And it's a lot different, I think, sometimes when you have your own studio or especially now where, you know, the computer is the is the basis of everything you just get lost but back then it was kind of yeah how do i get a cool kick drum sound okay they did this they did this i'll chuck that up and then uh that sounds good (laughs) off you go has the computer made things a lot more accessible for up-and-coming producers now when it kind of removes the idea of a time limit and it removes the idea of needing a massively professional setup to try and do something um, I think I think again, it, it's it, it probably just depends on whose hands it falls in. I definitely feel there's a benefit of learning proper techniques with stuff. In a sense, like cooking, like you know, you, you sort of learn measurements and you learn what tastes good together and how much of this and what how much is too much salt. You know, I think in recording, it's it's really good to sort of learn some of those fundamentals so you can then. Then, then sort of, you know, bend them as much to your own style. 
I mean, the computer is a fascinating thing. Like I mix mixing wise, I, I'm pretty much just stay inside of um, Pro Tools these days because you know I have to juggle different uh, projects and I need to be able to open up a session two months later when someone's decided that they want the shaker up. So I think having maybe some of the um, discipline of old school recording is really beneficial in sort of like the modern era of recording. And then there's just things you can do in the computer now that are like, couldn't do so much on the tape. I guess as well, when it comes back to that analogy, you were mentioning like cooking there and you know how much salt is too salt. The thing that's different about music making now is that if you add too much salt, you can just take it out again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or tune that salt. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I guess, in, 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 you know, it, it depends on your style and, and the genre of music you're working in and whatnot. There's, there's definitely a thing where the computer becomes an instrument and you can do some amazing stuff. And there's also, I guess, the handicap too, where, you know, it doesn't always push some younger artists to maybe work on their music enough because you can fix things and you can tune and time and, you know, run the iron over it and get rid of any creases. It's, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a give and take, I think, with all that stuff, so... I don't know. I'm always trying to, going back to one of your original questions is, you know, when I'm working with an artist or whatever, I do try and push them as much as I can possibly to, you know, exercise their skills so that we don't have to fall into like too generic in the computer or we can use the computer as an instrument rather than as a, the ultimate repair tool. Yeah. It's a way of ensuring that the computer doesn't become a limitation that ability to fix everything doesn't impede the music itself. Yeah, or just like, you know, it's like a hospital for music where you're just like, right, don't <laughs> worry, guys. That's, that's good enough. Go watch TV and, uh, you know, we'll just put the song through some surgery and it'll be all right. It's always nicer. I think the, the lots of songs and stuff that I've worked on that maybe have come out the best, you know, is when it has been fundamentally the most organic sort of approach. I think it was the sports team one as well that I heard you talking about how you would be going to the song and you would just randomly throw things in. Like, okay, let's speed it up a bit or let's try and come up with a new drum part. Yeah, yeah. When we were sort of working on that record, we were sort of doing um, songs in different sessions um, over the course of like a year and a bit. And often, again, it was really short studio times. We, you know, we kind of sent in to make a couple songs and one would be the focus and then those those one songs become greedy and take all the time and then oh shit we've got two more to go and <laughs> so you sort of turn into this a bit manic everyone gets a bit manic and then which is fun and if you can kind of harness that energy then we end up put the mix through the space echo and see what happens and you sort of collecting weird sounds and checking a harmonica in. <laughs> check a harmonica in. That <laughs> everyone's going to uh, wake up the next day and mute. But yeah, I don't know. I, I like. Uh, I definitely am a big sort of drums and bass fan. Not so much the genre, but definitely the instruments. And I feel if you can get sort of grooves and rhythms and 
those those sounds right, you know. That's that's yeah. one of the major pulls, at least for me, when I hear music. That like, whoa, what's this? You're almost building it from the ground up. Building it from the ground up, but um, I think when you with a band like that, you're also trying to. I would really hope that their fans or whoever's listening to it, you know, if they want to focus on the vocals, they can. If they want to focus on the drums, they can. If they want to focus on the bass, the guitar, the keys or whatever, you know, it's interesting to them for those individual aspects as opposed to it sounding, sometimes it's sad that the bass player gets hidden in the background or, you know, whatnot. It's kind of nice to have, make sure everyone gets a little bit of time in the limelight. I think with what you were saying there about the drums and bass and that band in particular, though, there's such a kind of chaotic energy to the music that the drums and bass are almost like you laying down the tracks to keep it on the rails, and then the crazy train comes thundering through with all the <laughs> guitars and harmonicas and shouting and all that business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you need something to anchor the boat, otherwise it's going to go. It's going out to sea fast, so. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll pin it down somewhere, which way or the other. When it comes to, we were talking earlier on about understanding a band sound and what they want to do with it. How do you do that when the music is so chaotic and it does have that edge to it? Is it more difficult in that case? Well, again, it's where, it's, you know, it, it's, it's sort of a project to project and it's really, it's really trying to get on the artist's side and figure out what it is they're after and what is important in the, in the, uh, I guess delivery of the music because it can be tricky for me sometimes where I'll, I'll work on a, a project and like I said you know like everyone wants the drums banging loud and you know it's like yes and you you know you think you've cracked that code and then you go to another one and it's like they want they want the drums to sound small and indecipherable and you're like okay <laughs> and you, you know you gotta you gotta revert your thinking it's really just trying to understand what they're after. And then when you kind of get your head around that, and then, then I feel like then we're both in the same car and we're going, you know, we're going in the same direction. And it's, then that's when you, the experimenting comes and that's when it becomes quite fun. But yeah, I, I don't really know if there's, there's not one formula that's from each and I'm probably learning as much from the bands as maybe they are from me sometimes. You have to really be ready to say, like, you know, you're wrong. <laughs> Oops, I was wrong. <laughs> you know, it's almost it's a two way street, like what you were saying earlier on about, or what we were saying earlier on about how you might try and excite things and throw something in, like a tempo change or swapping a drum part. It, when you do that to the band, it kind of reflects back on you too at another point in the process. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, it depends. To I think we're like how how solidified they are in some aspects where you know some tracks feel just a bit like a lost kid at the zoo and you kind of like all right you know where's your mom where's your parents <laughs> and you know like are they yeah is it a key up or are they you know is it ten beats faster or is it you know behind and you know you're sort of trying to guide with some of that stuff because you think you know where, where the song needs to go and then you got to try a bunch of things. Also, and also sometimes, I don't know, you go around the roundabout a lot and then you, you might get off in a different, a different exit and that's great. Otherwise, you can just start back at the beginning and like, oops. <laughs> well, there you go. Like it was meant to be like this all along. So 
What what changes in that interim? Though? Why does it work when you come back around to it when it didn't the first time? It's I don't sometimes like sometimes maybe when a song or something uh, feels a bit hesitant at first, and so you do want to try these things, and you know you do want to know that you're kind of doing the best thing possible for the song. It's it's like they're not always really clear. It's it's kind of hard to explain. And sometimes the most simple things, you know, to get to, to sort of appreciate that simplicity, you've got to throw everything at it. Otherwise, you just don't quite go, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that really works. Because I think if people have a fear sometimes of it, if it's right at the beginning, you know, like it's, I don't know, there's sometimes there's a process going into the studio where like you're meant to go in and change everything. And that's not always the case. Yeah, it's almost just like becoming comfortable and trusting in that process. Mm, mm, exactly. I don't know. You do, sometimes you know, sometimes you don't. And I'm going to probably speak in a lot of riddles because I just feel like <laughs> that's just what happens. Like <laughs> you have breakthroughs with some songs where it's like, yes, we had to go through all that hell and hack down all those weeds to get here. And it's awesome. And others who just like, I am so sorry for feeling like I destroyed your music, but at least we realized it was right at the beginning, you know? It's just constantly give and take. Do you gain a better understanding of what the record is though through doing that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, project to project basis, you know, something like the sports team thing we did over a year and a half in sort of two, three day slots in the studio, you know, spaced out quite a bit. So what an album was going to be out of that, you don't really know. You really just sort of, what are these two songs we're working on at the moment going to be? And then other ones where, you know, we've had two weeks, sometimes four weeks, you know, and there is a bit more of, of a focus. Um, I think it always helps when the lyrics are written, <laughs> which funnily enough, is not usually the case. But I think when the lyrics are written, that's a big beacon to kind of get you through the fog. That can make a session go a lot faster. You, you sort of have the world that you're in and then you start putting up some barriers and you sort of like, okay, cool, we don't need to go over here. We don't need to do that because the world is this big and this is what we're going to stay in and make this this work. So if you can kind of understand those things earlier on, then... The process doesn't have to take as long. It can be a lot more. You get a lot more done. It's more focused. But then, you know, other times, not having those things too is like, I would have never have done certain processes if it was so, so defined, you know. Was that the case for the Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever one? What you were saying about kind of having that strong backbone there and figuring it out pretty quick? Because it's so cohesive. I think when I... I try with bands too, is I try to do a lot of pre-production and with them we did, we, I think we probably spent about a week together in a rehearsal room with their songs. They had, I'd say most of the songs, they have like three songwriters in the band and for one or two of them, maybe the lyrics are kind of up there a bit, but it's more definitely like a feel and a vibe. So there was a lot of the songs that maybe didn't have s sort of 
endpoints or I don't know, the story was a bit confusing in the song. Like it was kind of hard to hear there could be a bit too sprawling. You know, I just went in there with the cleaver and just tried to chop as much out and, you know, make it, um, hopefully, <laughs> make it a bit more uh, easier to understand for the listener, you know, because maybe people who don't play, play an instrument or whatever, they don't really understand how to listen to, like, six or five people making sounds all at once, you know. They sort of focus on two or three things, so is a trying to get all those ideas across, but then also try to not make them confusing so much. So yeah, with those guys, it was, it was good fun. Like we just, you know, they had songs and we just tried to whittle them down and like, you know, after listening to, they play a jam and of eight minutes and okay, what, what, <laughs> what was, what would be the chorus in this song? <laughs> and everyone had a different idea and some, like, okay, well let's pick which one it is. And so we have somewhere to build to so when we finally did that and then got in the studio, it was, then it was, it was good. I was just kind of like making, yeah, creating that sort of uh, landscape that they do really well. It sounds like I was speaking to an Aussie band earlier on today, Spacey Jane. Oh, cool. And they were saying that every time they write a song, it feels like, you know, creating an essay and you go a thousand words over the word count and doing the production is a course of is a process of trying to chop all that out and just rein it back in and get it beneath it yeah yeah for sure for sure because it's it's probably when you get into the case where there's like maybe when you come come back around the roundabout it's it's you know it's just trimming a few hedges it's not it's all there but you just have to peel it back so people can see it clearly and it's not overgrown that's how that's i reckon that's one of the biggest proponents of my job sifting through <laughs> which is funny because i hate going to uh secondhand shopping <laughs> how important is it for you as a producer to understand where what you're making is coming in the chronology in the band and what they've released before I th again so it'll probably come a bit from the band themselves you know some bands you know would come to me and they you know they were like i want to do something different on this record you know, I think either they have a voice or they have a sound that was inherent in their music generally, which will carry through, but we'll want to approach it differently. And then others, if they're not so um, maybe vocal about that, they just, you know, they have songs and they want them recorded and sounding as best as possible, then, you know, sort of we'll, we'll be more um, aware of of uh, what it is they've done and not trying to alienate from the past. But I, th I don't know. I kind of feel like... I, I listen backwards, but that, that can kind of... It's I don't know. It's, usually I, just, I take it from the artist and we usually just... After we've sort of talked about things and stuff we like, we kind of go, okay, let's go in and let's do this. And don't look back. How did that function for the City Calm Down record? Because that very much feels like them, but at the same time, it's a step in a new direction. Yeah, that was funny because I spoke with them prior. And I think for me, uh, initially, what they, some of the demos and songs that they'd sent forth um, wasn't really my sort of bag. And I kind of found like maybe it was falling into 
a certain sounding in a certain camp. And, and I was just, I think when we we're sort of having like the introductions with each other, it was the old, you know, it's got to be honest here. <laughs> this is what I, this is how I think. And, uh, you know, totally understand if, you know, that sounds offensive or you guys aren't into this at all or whatever. And, and I think for them, they were kind of actually happy to hear that. And Jack, the singer and who, who, you know, writes the majority of the music was really like, yay, that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted someone to sort of pull me out of the comfort zone a bit and push me somewhere different. When we got that out of the way um, and kind of all realized, you know, you know, this is sort of probably how I would do things and, and that they were interested in, you know, not doing the same record they did last time. Then it was a ton of fun. And yeah, it was really cool. Like I, I had a great time with those guys and they're awesome dudes and, you know, still keep in touch quite a bit with Jack actually these days. Um, I know it definitely didn't go down well <laughs> with some of their fans. But um, I think they wanted someone to open that door to, or, you know, give them a green light to try some new stuff. And I was really into what they were doing for that. And yeah, we just sort of went for it for better or worse. So what were those songs when they brought them to you? Were they similar to what they'd done before and you kind of wanted to pull it somewhere different or? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I sort of felt like that uh, some of the initial some of the initial demos or there's a couple songs here and there um, were maybe, um, yeah, so just what they'd done in the past uh, and, you know, of a certain, I guess, style, genre-ish of what that sort of falls into. I, you know, I was just sort of saying, like, I don't know if, 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 you, if, if this is sort of what you're after, then I, I might not be the best person for it because I don't fully... And it's not sort of your cup it's of not tea. Necessary. Yeah. So it's sort of getting off. And then and then I think um and then Jack wrote uh the television song. He was really excited and we I think we used quite a bit from his demo on that. It was just sort of more f- fun. And I was like, Yeah, you know, this this is this sounds rad to me. If you, you know, if you're going down this road, sign me up. And, and then that's just kind of how it happened. You know, I think they just, yeah, you know, like anyone, when you've done a few albums, you know, a certain way or whatever, you want, you want to do different things, you know. Were you aware that was going to be their last record when you were working on it? Uh, No, that wasn't the case at the time, at least not that I knew of. I think they were all pretty excited about it, but it, it caught it. It was, you know, a bit tricky because, you know, families are happening, jobs, you know, side jobs of, you know, certain members were taking precedent. And then, you know, sometimes doing those tours that kind of just rob your bank account, you know, it's hard to sort of like, ah, get back in there. So I sort of maybe felt, after the process came out and the album was out for them, the touring realities and all that stuff at, at the time for them was, I think it, I think it warmed down a bit, to be honest. And it was a bit like, what's, 
you know, what's the point of doing another one right now? It's a shame because 30 years ago, a band like that, you know, they would have been able to sustain a livable wage on it. Yeah. Yeah. With the size that they were. They had a fan base. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It's, it's tricky. It's, you know, I guess music's such a moving target right now, especially with, you know, fashions and trends and things, you know. I think when that album came out too, band music was still feeling like a bit of a dirty word, a bit more niche. I don't know. It's really hard to sort of, uh, it'll send you mad (laughs) if you're trying trying to understand and it'll put you into a big deep depression. Yeah, it was a shame. I thought it was. A f- I really liked the record, and we had a good time making it. And uh, I definitely know whenever I go, and if I ever get back to Melbourne in the near future, we're gonna all have a big old drink and catch up. When were you last in Melbourne? Oddly enough, uh, at the beginning of this whole shit show of a pandemic. So I'd gone back to Australia to finalize my visa. And also I was making a record uh, with an artist over, a Melbourne artist called Ryan Downey. I got back on, I think it was a Thursday, on a Thursday, and I went and did uh, my visa uh, biometrics or whatever it is, uh, part, handed over my passport, flew to Melbourne on Sunday. We went into the studio on Monday. And by Wednesday is when they announced that they were closing the borders. That was the last time I was in Melbourne and it was, it was crazy. So we, we got the majority of this record recorded in that, in those five days and then, uh, got back to Sydney because I had a place to stay. And then, uh, sort of the rest of the record was Ryan and myself changing files over the internet <laughs> so how long were you in sydney for before you got back here uh i got i got um i had to wait until the visa offices reopened to get my passport um so i was i got stuck in australia for about three and a half months wow it was such a shit Which, show you forget <laughs> it was crazy i mean it's definitely not the worst place you could have been especially in the first uh the, the first i guess universal lockdown Um, it was quite nice to sort of spend time with family and I guess my girlfriend was made it over there and, um, we were able to, I don't know, take it easy (laughs) for a bit. (laughs) I remember Bad Dreams, they were kind of in the same spot. They were over here touring or kind of the opposite way around, I guess. And everything started to shut and they basically had to race back to Australia, cancel the rest of the tour and kind of just hot tail it from border to border to get back in before they all shut. Yeah, it was really tricky. Oh, those uh, poor fellas, I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize they were, I feel like everyone just got caught off guard at that point. They're in, it's an interesting record to think about that one as well in context of what we were saying with the City Cam Down one. Was that a similar thing for you? Because that's another record where you take that band's direction, that band's sound rather, in a bit of a different direction and kind of build up on what was there before, but still do something different with it. Yeah. Well, I think, um, again, with like a talk with, uh, with the band and was doing it sort of a collab with, um, my friend, um, Tim, who goes under the name of Jack Ladder, who we've done a couple of records together. We were sort of talking with the, the band and, 
you know, they're, I guess, like, a cl- it's classic, you know, Australian guitar band, which was great. Pub rock. But, yeah, a bit. But then, you know, within the members and stuff, you know, they're really versed in lots of different music and and ideas and, you know, I think we wanted to just try and push a bit that to the front. So it just felt, you know, just to lift it a bit because Alex plays guitar, writes all the lyrics and stuff, and he's he's pretty good with the pen. I don't know, I just wanted to... Not not too much, but give it a bit more of a platform. So it just didn't get kind of hidden, I think, just between, you know, sort of just rock music. Yeah, I mean, you've got stuff on that album like Harry's Station, which is a lot softer. It's almost like ballady. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's a real, that's a real throwback to that sort of landscape Australian sound, I think, that sort of pops up in there. There's a band called The Triffids, which is uh, quite iconic over there, and they're and uh, no, they're they're quite fans of that, and so we sort of want to har- harness a bit of harness a bit of that in that song for sure. It's interesting you were speaking about Alex as a songwriter there because I know that he's also a producer, but he didn't produce that record. It was yourself and Jet Ladder. What's that like? That dynamic when you're working with a musician who's also a producer but isn't producing the record? <sighs> Depends, I guess. I, I mean, in that in that context, no. It was, you know, felt like everyone's roles were sort of defined and, you know, they were sort of happy to uh, be coached a bit and pushed a bit. Yeah, there wasn't any friction or anything like that. Yeah, I'm trying to think back now because that was a while ago. The years fly Um, by. (laughs) (laughs) The years and just, I guess, maybe the the condensed, some of these sessions, you know, they're sort of done in... um, 10 fairly sleepless days. So, uh, and everyone's view or recollection of them is always quite a bit different <laughs> than probably how it was. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was fun. It was like we, we did it in Adelaide in this, this, uh, this guy's, uh, studio that he was had in his converted garage. So there you go, a garage band. And it was hot, but it was, it was fun and weird and yeah. I don't know. It was a good time. When did you first get your own studio? Because you quite often just used to go from, or I imagine you maybe still do, before the pandemic, you would just go from studio to studio and it wouldn't really matter the place that you were in for you. I don't have a studio. You don't? I've wow. got, um, no, I just, I, I just have um, a pair of speakers. I guess kind of more like a, a mix setup. I sort of do most, yeah, the majority of my mixing from. But um, I've never, I've never really gone down the, my own personal studio route mainly because i've just wanted to have a bit more freedom to be able to you know sort of go to different parts and make records in other spaces and not worry about a an overhead <laughs> of gear well particularly in the pandemic yeah yeah for sure and i mean i've been lucky that in australia and even over here to some extent um you know most studios you go into, people who've got a passion for it, or you know, they're pretty great. And after a few days of getting your head around how it all works, you know, it's nice to. Uh, it's always nice to. I, I like the change of environment. Where did you do the Julia Jacqueline record? Um, did that in Australia, up at the uh, Grove Studios, which is 
sort of two hours outside of Sydney. It's my friend's studio. I, I guess I was I was living up there for a while as well. So uh, I did a lot of things out, out, out of there. Is this a studio that's kind of out in the middle of nowhere? Uh, it feels like it when you're there, but it's 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 uh, it's they like say sort of like a it's this town called Gosford, which is yeah about two hours. Of, I was just shy of two hours or whatever um, from sort of the Sydney centre, and it's like um, it's a coastal town. You know, there's sort of some beaches nearby, which are quite nice. That, but um, the studio used to be; it was built by the bass player from In Excess, and it was where he lived, and it was his private studio. And I think they did an album there or whatever before Michael passed eventually moved and sold it and then the studio got expanded and then it passed through a few hands and then eventually fell into my uh, friend uh, Scott who bought it and um, it's in sort of like up the side of this hill when you get to the studio it's, uh, I can't remember how many it's quite a few acres of property and there's a big sort of dense kind of bush gum tree bushland out the back so it does feel really really secluded and like you're uh, like you're yeah in the middle of nowhere but you know the reality is you're 10 minutes from the local grocery store <laughs> that's what you want <laughs> yeah yeah it's perfect i mean for bands it's amazing and you, and uh you go and stay there and it's 24 hours so usually what would happen is we'd you know the initial few days with the band would we'd sort of start between I don't know nine or eleven between nine and eleven around ten or whatever and then as the days and nights go on you end up starting around one or two and going till <laughs> four in the morning or whatever it's great it's really good everyone loses themselves out there and you know if you can put your phone down and not get get off the internet you know you really can just get right into the sort of pit of making records which is awesome would you ever implement like a no cell phone rule in the studio um i definitely throw some angry eyes around and try to give the benefit of the doubt why do you need them when you're in the studio i've never really got it uh i mean i think it's just like everyone's new limbs that they can't live without you know I don't know, even I'm looking at some construction workers across from my place at the moment and they're on their phones right now. So I don't, I don't know. I feel like it's just commonplace. Like if you sit on a bus and look around, you don't really see many people looking out the window anymore. And yeah, especially now, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't actually, I don't have an Instagram or Twitter stuff. I've got a Facebook, but I actually don't even... I don't even think I've logged into that in a couple of years. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's so many lives being lived through this stuff. So it's it's annoying. It's definitely annoying when you're sort of listening back and you turn around and everyone's, yeah, I don't know, updating whatever. And they haven't actually paid attention to their song. That's when I kind of crack the shits. <laughs> I wonder if we'll look back on this time in 20 years and think how crazy it was that we were all just looking down all the time. Well, keep your ears peeled because there's definitely a lot of phone interruptions that happen in in guitar amps and <laughs> mic lines. And you get that, 
had to edit a lot of that stuff out. But I don't know. I think I think if you can kind of, it's definitely if you're going to be recording or like if if there's if they have bands playing together, that's sort of annoying in between takes, and you look and some people as soon as the take is done, they're just on their phones. Yeah, a no phone policy would be good, which I'll we'll try in the next one. What do you do? Maybe not even necessarily related to cell phones, but say you're in a session and it feels like it's starting to lose momentum and starting to lose the atmosphere a bit. What will you do to try and pick it back up? What can you do? Uh, go to the pub. Um, <laughs> seriously, sometimes this, you know, I mean, I'm not advocating heavy drinking, but the I think sometimes just everyone just clearing their ears, going outside, going for a walk, yeah, having a beer, just killing some nerves, um, play someone else's song. Sometimes it's when you've heard the same thing over and over again, or you're going for a take and stuff like changing. That's a big thing. Breaks, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bad at it, but definitely, you know, when you do a 10, 15 minute break, that can save you a couple of hours really. So in what way for, for that aspect of, 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 you know, when I think the, the creativity is a bit slow or, you know, you've heard something too much and the idea of the song is to have a certain feeling run through it or express something. And if someone's tired or missed, missed that ship at the moment, taking 15 minutes out and talking about something else, watching the worst show on TV, you know, just getting your mind completely away and then coming back and listening suddenly everything can just become really apparent or there's like just a burst of energy again, you know, rather than spending two hours just chiseling away at it more and more and creating a deeper hole to get out of. Are you quite good at noticing in that? Like when you're in that process and you start to feel that happening, how long would it take you to kind of catch on and realize that you need to maybe take five, 10 minutes? (laughs) I'd really like to, I'd like to, uh, lie and say that I'm, I'm really good at it. But like, (laughs) I think we, I think it's sometimes it's just important at the beginning just to kind of be like, all right, everyone, if anyone's feeling a bit like over it or whatever, just don't be afraid to raise your hand. Cause again, we, you know, we all get, we can all get a bit, um, we can forget it's the easiest thing to remember, but it's also the easiest thing to forget. And when you put pressure on yourself and you're, under those constraints, you think the last thing that's going to help you, like avoiding that, or it it is the thing that helps, like not, not focusing on the, the, the the task at hand can, can really, um, I don't know, make it, make it better. It's, yeah, I don't know. I need to, it depends. Usually if we've, if we've got a session and we feel comfortable and we've got like time on our hands, then for sure. You, know, you start to fall into a routine and we go, okay, we'll break here for dinner. And okay, now we'll break here and we'll play cards for an hour. And then, uh, you know, you sort of integrate that stuff into it. But um, I think when you just go cold into the studio and everyone's trying to figure out each other out and how it all works, yeah, it can be a bit tricky to call time out when you maybe don't have that, that thing yet. You know, that, that song or that moment where everyone's fist pumping, you just sort of like, if you don't have that, it's really scary to walk away from it for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but you need to. Would you set yourself goals each day when you're in the studio? Would that help to keep you on the right track? I mean, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, it can. I mean, I, I, I tend to find that it happens a little bit later. I think when you get the whiteboard out and you start, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe it should be, be done that way. I'm not really sure, but I kind of often find in the beginning, the more, the more I've prepared and had a game plan, the more that plan hasn't gone to game. So I sort of take the first few days if, if we've got the luxury of that and then find its natural rhythm. And then I think goals kind of, you know, open themselves up. If, you know, maybe try and work fast in the beginning, because if you kind of feel like you've got, you know, feel like you're accomplishing things and getting things done, that really helps the mood. And then it feels a bit easier. If we need to redo something or spend more time on a song or something like that a little bit later, you feel um, like you've got that that ability to. So I think maybe the f- yeah the first goal would just just say kind of get in there and get fast and just start doing big brushstrokes, no matter if they're a good color or not. Just throw paint to canvas. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.